welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. What is going on, fam? It is episode six of season three of Value as Value podcast. I'm Kyle Krieger, and I'm joined by my guy, Wilkie V. Law III. And I wish you could see this shirt, everybody that he's wearing right now, because it's so fantastic. Hey, Will Law, what's up? It's cloudy outside. We're getting a storm, so a little bit of a storm system. And so I figured I'd bring a little bit of sunshine inside with my neon colors. And, and plus, I figured it was it was a t-shirt. Normally, we're on, I'm in t-shirts. And today with our guest, I decided to dress up a little bit because it, it, he, he, he has a huge significant role in my educational journey as an educator. And, and so I decided to dress up. So I'll introduce our guest today. Uh, it's none other than Aldine ISD Ong. And I just found out that when I was with you, paired with you, you were in your second year teaching, which yeah. even more blows my mind at the depth of the conversation that we had and the guidance that you gave me being only two years in, we have Coach Principal Gerald Scheidel. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share my story. This is phenomenal. We um, we were talking before we got on about the Aldean, you know, because Kyle worked in Aldean. Uh, this is the only district I've known. Um, and I want to say this is the only district you know because you were still in Aldine. You were actually a yeah. product of Aldine. Born and raised. That's it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, man, this is, like I said, this is kind of like coming home for me. I feel like we ought to just yell out Nimitz Cougars real quick. Uh, but That's right. <laughs> let's go ahead and Cougar jump pride, into sir. the first question. Absolutely. I still have my two shirts and my, my football shirts and my uh, basketball shirts that I would buy to wear, be to wear on Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> And so I still keep them. I still wear them and um, still part of my history. And I, I love that time. I think it's, like I say, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for the influence that I got at Nimitz High School, Nimitz Ninth Grade Center Yeah. Uh, with everybody there. So um, we'll jump right into it. And let's see, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background and how you got into the education profession? Okay. So I'm the, uh, the son of two educators. My mom actually uh, just retired this year. Uh, she retired from Aldine in 2005, but then uh, went right, right back into the teaching ranks at uh, St. Pius High School here in Houston. And uh, she's been teaching ever since. She uh, retired after 46 years in education. Uh, my dad uh, taught for 23 years in Aldine and retired at 2005 as well. So education and uh, just the impact I saw them as educators, uh, you know, really it shaped me as a child. It's uh, this morning I actually had a, a student, a former student of my dad's, reach out to me that rode his bus and just talked about the impact he had on his life and uh, the memories he had of us sitting on the bus. Uh, we rode my dad's bus. Uh, he drove the Acres Homes route there in Aldine for uh, 23 years as an educator. So not only was he a bus driver and a teacher, uh, you know, he, he just was a jack of all trades. He was on mechanics teacher there. 
but I saw how he built relationships with students that he didn't look like, uh, and he met them where they were, and they saw the love and compassion that he had for them, and he treated them like family. And we saw how they loved him, and I knew that's the way you, you, you work with kids, how you build relationships. You meet them where they are, you make those connections, and it's just something, a mindset that I've, I've taken into uh, my education uh, profession. I also saw my dad apologize when he made mistakes uh, with kids. And so I had that mindset as well. So I wasn't realizing it, but the experiences I had on that bus, uh, I rode his bus from the time I was in the third grade to the time I was a, a sophomore in high school. And those experiences have shaped me throughout my life. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been blessed by that experience. And so uh, having two teachers as uh, parents and, uh, seeing the power of education propelled me into it. I uh, actually kind of got a, a strange start into, into Aldine. I started working as a para at 20. Uh, Jeff McKenna, who's now in Tomball ISD, is their uh, uh, chief uh, officer of human talent there in, uh, in Tomball. He uh, asked me to be his SAC paraprofessional at 20 years old. And uh, I, I Right now, it still blows my mind because I'm thinking to myself, he took a big chance on me, and uh, I'm very, I'm eternally, eternally grateful for that opportunity. And uh, you know, it started my track in Aldine, and so went from being a para for four years and uh, work at Teague uh, with Mike Gallion for three years, and then uh, finished up my college degree. I was going to school at night, and uh, you know, seeing other adult students talk about, hey, finish your degree, make sure you take care of your business. I saw how education, uh, you know, through adversity, it, it, it's, it's something you need. It's, it's, there's a value in it. And all those older students taught me those things as well. And uh, once I got into teaching uh, as a coach, I uh, was also influenced by coaches too. I saw I had great uh, coaches uh, growing up at Nimitz. Uh, Bernice Simon was my, my head football coach. He's uh, since passed uh, this uh, past school year. And uh, actually before this podcast, I had one of my other coaches from Nimitz. Uh, he saw my news story on Channel 13. They re-aired it today. And uh, he said, he just called and said he loved me and was proud of me. And, and uh, you know, those experiences. So throughout my journey, I've had tons of educators that have inspired me and, and continue to, to influence me. Uh, and then getting into administration, uh, I had great leaders that uh, mentored me. And uh, one of them was Crystal Watson, who's now uh, our one of our new area superintendents. And uh, she mentored me as a teacher and coach. Uh, also, Mr. Caldwell, who's our director of uh, safe and secure schools. And then uh, my, my biggest mentor uh, was Mr. Ken Knippel, who uh, has since passed. And, uh, you know, these educators saw value in me and coached me um, and didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear. Uh, and you have to, you, to get mentors, you have to be able to accept constructive criticism and feedback. And then what do you do with that feedback? Do you get bitter or do you get better? And I know that, uh, you know, that's kind of a cliche thing right now. Uh, John Gordon, if you've ever read any of his books, he, he talks about that. Uh, and it's it's true. Feedback is what you need. And as a coach, and as a player, you've got to be able to give feedback. You've got to be able to receive it and not take it personally, uh, you know. And so 
I took that that those that advice from them, and and it's propelled me in my journey. And uh, every time I I uh, struggle, I take those experiences and see how I can grow. So that's that's a long story, but that's that's how how it's kind of uh, gotten me into education and, and just those various experiences and mentors. You know, you made some pretty big heavyweights like um, uh, Tom Caldwell. Let me just say, <laughs> with Mr. Caldwell as being the first principal that I interacted with outside of being a student. Um, he saw something in me that after my first year, he came to me and said, I really think you should take the teacher's exam and actually get into the classroom. Yeah. And it was on his on his call, because I, I, I hadn't been sold yet. You know you know what uh -huh. we dealt with over at Nimitz 9 and in a gap. Yeah. It, it was, it, you yeah. had to have a special soul to work there. And for him to see something in me to say, hey, go ahead and do this and try to make it happen. Um, and I made it happen. And like I say, I was so excited. Even when I got my first job, I went and let him know. And I, I think he would remember me. And he was like, no, I remember you. Because I remember you yeah. working every morning, you, you know, doing this. When I was late, he was on me. You know, and he said, I shouldn't have to tell you twice. You know, and yeah. when, for, for, for someone that's not beat me down, but just say, hey, you're late, but I shouldn't have to tell you again. That motive, mm -hmm. that, that in itself is motivational to say, yeah. hey, let, let me try to do something different. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. and Coach, I be, Go ahead. I was, sorry, if you, I was just going to ask kind of a follow-up question, but if you got something to finish go with. Ahead. No, go ahead. You good? I, I'm just super interested to hear the perspective. So you must have graduated high school, what, 99? 1999. So yeah. could you just talk a little bit about how the district you feel like has changed over the last 20 years? Because, you know, me, I grew up in a town of 2,200. Mm -hmm. I went to college in a town of about 25,000. And right. then my first job was at Handbrake. Right. So like I was thrown in, but, but I'm just, I'd be super interested to just hear a little bit about how you've seen the district change and evolve over over the years because I mean even since I left there's how many new schools now since I oh, left gosh, in 2017 to, oh, total campuses we have 82 campuses in Aldine uh, and you know what's funny is is the jobs that I've had in the district uh, I also worked at Central Receiving uh, in, in, in a summer position and so my junior year of high school I was working there uh, with Nancy Willis who was in charge of Central Receiving and at that time, we had uh, 50,000 students in Alden. And uh, I can't remember how many, I think it might have been 67 campuses at that point in time. I think she, she told us at a meeting, and she talked about the value that we played in uh, making sure that staffs were ready, the buildings were ready. And because we shipped uh, at that point in time at Central Receiving, we would ship furniture, we would deliver product. Uh, you know, did a lot of work uh, behind the scenes operation and mindset of realizing that you were an integral part of uh, something bigger, uh, you know, stuff. And, and that's kind of, uh, you know, stuck with me. But as far as seeing the district change, you know, when you're, you don't really see it uh, until now we, I can like kind of look back on it. So as a student, uh, so at that point in time, whenever I was a student at Nimitz, we had a demographic breakdown, probably of 30, 30, and 30. 
uh, 30% white, 30% African-American, 30% Hispanic. Uh, and, and I'm kind of generalizing that, but I think it was a pretty even breakdown. And uh, that was just at Nimitz. Now, my wife went to, to Aldine and she said uh, high school at the same time. And she said it was pretty much the same breakdown. Now, when I came back and started coaching in the district back in, in, in 2000, uh, in Subban, and in, in, in 2002, whenever I got on staff, uh, the demographic started to change uh, and, and shift to a more uh, African-American, Hispanic uh, demographic. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is kids are kids. And so I think that, that the one thing that, that if there was any educator that had a problem with adjusting to the, the change, it was a personal issue. Uh, I think that, that if you can't see value in what you're doing, you're in the wrong place. And, uh, Alding hasn't changed the mission uh, the desire to build up that community has not changed. Uh, the board members, they're some of the same board members that were board members when I was a student, and their passion for that community hasn't changed. Actually, guys that I went to high school with are on the East Alden board. Uh, you know, that desire to make that community better, that's what's made Alden still successful. That's what's made Alden uh, such an awesome place is because the passion that they had to make that community better. And the educators that are still there that have retired or uh, have 30 plus years, um, it's that commitment, that commitment to making something bigger than yourself and making it better. That's what continues to make Aldine awesome. And that's why, uh, you know, seeing a leader like Dr. Goffney and being under her leadership, it just, it, it makes me want to work harder because the principles that she's talking about are the same principles that, uh, you know, we've had other leaders and we kind of, uh, unfortunately, sometimes we veer away, but we're coming back to those same core principles. And that's, what's awesome. That's what inspires me. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes people forget and it's good to have those leaders that, that push us back to center and push us back to, uh, what we need to do what's best for kids. And, uh, you know, that's a cliche thing too. We say, oh, we're doing what's best for students, but are you truly doing that? Are you making those hard conversations? Are you having those, uh, picking the people in your, on your team to, uh, to make sure that you, uh, have that same mindset. So, uh, you know, all this, this, I guess the, the, what I'm getting at is, the, the community mindset in Alden is still there. That hasn't changed. Yes, the, the, the demographics have shifted, the economics have shifted, but the core principle of making Alden awesome and great, that hadn't, that hadn't changed one bit. Is it still true, that though, that a lot of people with my background, Midwest, small towns, still are coming down to Alden to teach? Not, not as, not as frequently. I mean, we do have some, but I don't think as, as many as we used to, I think that we're, our, our HR department does a good job of recruiting locally and different things. And I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't tell you what all, you know, because they con we constantly have a steady flow of, of educators from various backgrounds. I mean, uh, right. you know, but I don't think we have as many, 
students, uh, student teachers coming down uh, from the Midwest as we used to. I think they do a good job of, uh, of probably trying to find more local people, uh, you know, at Sam Houston, uh, University of Houston, things like that to come and uh, student teach. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's played a, a factor or anything different, but I mean, we still have folks from Iowa. I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming, Kyle, you're from Iowa? No, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay, okay, my fault. I knew it was somewhere but, from the Midwest, my the, apologies. The, the question I want to ask you as a follow-up to that is, so even if it's not from the Midwest, I mean, I'm sure you're getting people that are not Houston born and raised right. that are from the outskirts. Mm -hmm. So the question I'm asking is I feel like there are a lot of people from my background that wind up in the urban setting. So how mm -hmm. do you, how do you work with those teachers to especially, you know, help them, like you said, understand the culture because for me, like when I moved to Houston, it was like so much information so quickly and such a change that it really took me a couple of years to adjust to the culture and learn the cultural norms of my students. And like you said, and really get to know them. So what, what advice do you have for teachers that maybe didn't grow up like you did in the urban schools when they come down and start working for you? So I always try to tell people, look for what you have in common. Everybody has a family. Everybody has parents that love them. Well, I, I should say that most people have parents that love them. Now, some kids, you know, have CPS situations, things like that. But you look for those common things. And so how can you connect? Whether it's sports, whether it's music, you find that connection. And, and when you find that connection, that's where you start having that conversation. Something small. Don't don't try to uh, throw yourself out there and like overshare, um, you know, be, be 100 with them, but also understand that, you know, your experience is not going to be their experience. And if you have that mindset and you're receptive and also have the mindset that they're going to teach you something. I think a lot of times educators think that we're always the ones teaching, but we're also need to say, okay, what can my student teach me? And I can't tell you how many times I've been schooled by a kid and uh, in a good way. And, you know, it, it's like they, they, especially working as a gap teacher, your gap teacher kids are going to be 100 with you. It's going to be unfiltered and it's going to be honest. And you're going to say, okay, let me, let me pause and reflect on this. This, this kid might be on to something. And then you have to have enough uh, humility to step back and say, look, man, I, you know, come back the next day or, or, come back in 10 minutes and, and when heads are cooler and say, okay, look, you just taught me something and I appreciate that. And, and once you can do that with a kid, they're going to respect you and uh, they're going to appreciate the value and they're going to be receptive whenever you come at them again and uh, talk with, with them. And I think when you have that mindset, that's, that's how you build connections. That's how you build uh, relationships is just, really having the mindset that you're going to learn something from that person, you know, and, and I know that on this conference call, you know, yeah, y'all are asking me questions, but through dialogue, I'm going to learn something, gain something from y'all. And, and that's what, that's, what's awesome about education is we're always constantly learning. You know, it's interesting because when we started this podcast, the podcast started as a journey between a, a conversation between Kyle and I, uh, we worked together and, we just started having conversations about first fitness, then pedagogy, then mm -hmm. building relationships. 
And then it slowly started building. And we said, man, we should start recording these. Well, I won't say I did. He suggested it, that we should start recording these and put them out as a podcast. I didn't know what a podcast was at that time. Right. And, but since doing it, and you know, we're now 200 plus episodes in, uh, we wow. spoke to over 100 different uh, educators from across the globe. And every single time I sit and we ask questions, you learn something new, a new nuance, uh, something that you can put in your, you know, as a musician, we call it your gig bag, you know, stuff that you can put in your bag and that you can pull out later whenever you need it. And I think that we get away from that as educators a lot of the time. Yeah. We want to be the chief communicator in the classroom, not realizing that if we want kids to learn and we want to learn kids, we got to ask them questions. Yeah. And we got, like you say, I love that you say, we got to know for a fact that the kids are going to teach us something. Yeah. They're going to teach us something. And when you do, when you're wrong, I'm quick to tell a kid, my bad. I apologize. Look, guys, I blew it. Yeah. I lost my cool on this one. And I think, again, going back to my experience working with you in that gap unit, you we've seen how many times you can go from zero to 100, yeah. you know, in a, in a turn of a second. But you also have to turn it off from 100 to zero to be able yeah. to be right there for that kid, too. And so yeah. uh, that's something that I learned by watching you, because I, I wasn't as I wasn't as gifted with it as you were in the <laughs> beginning. I remember a couple of incidents in my head where I, you know, I, I think I know I handled things questionably, and if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't handle it the same way now yeah. knowing what I know. So yeah. again, like you say, if you're not learning, then you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I'm just amazed at how many even still I had an incident this year where a kid was talking to me and he's like you know, I think you could have handled that situation better. And I was like, yeah, 100%, I could have handled it better. And he like, just stared at me for what felt like 20 seconds. And he was still baffled at the fact that I was willing to say that I could have done something better and apologize. And it's, it's so crazy to me to think that that's still not a norm in education, or at least there are spaces where the teacher doesn't feel like they ever need to apologize, or they don't see the value in just saying, yeah, you know what? I, I, I blew that particular situation. Right. Right. All right. So the next question is that one of the things that we like to say is that we want to help teachers be the teacher that kids deserve. That's our mission that we use to help teachers. So when you hear that phrase, the teacher your kids deserve, what comes to your mind? So, uh, I think number one, uh, teachers that, that, that your kids deserve, I think about my own, uh, two girls, uh, you know, and it's, it's a very powerful question. So I've, I've been kind of thinking about this and I don't know really how to articulate it and I'll probably do a horrible job at it, but I think that number one, uh, those you think back on the teachers that you admire the most and you think about what were they good at doing? They were good at building relationships. They had a desire to improve you. They had a mindset that they weren't always going to tell you what you wanted to hear. Uh, they held you accountable, um, but they, they allowed you to grow and uh, were there to pick you up when you, when you maybe fell short sometimes and dust you off a little bit. And I think that if you, if you have that mindset as an educator that you're, you're going to have high standards, you don't want to have low expectations for your kids, especially uh, when 
our, our superintendent shared an article and I shared it with my staff last year. She said uh, it was called, uh, I can't remember the, the exact title of the article, but I think I do. it's the bigotry of low expectations. And I think sometimes us as educators, we set a low standard for our kids. Uh, I think you've got to have that high standard and then coaching those kids to that high standard. So when they don't meet it, that you're there to push them and say, look, I know you can do this. Don't have that mindset. And that's what, what really and truly running has, has done for me and, and just translated to my education is just learning from failure and that you define when you're a failure. If you, if you say, okay, I failed at this. Okay. But I'm not a failure. I didn't, I didn't failure is when you quit, you basically have given up. And so when you fail at something, you're willing to go back and try it again. I think that's, that's the mindset uh, of an educator that I want. I want a teacher that's willing to fail a lot and get better. Uh, that's, that's the type of teacher that our kids deserve. Willing to, to try new ideas. And if you don't, you aren't successful. Okay. Let me come back the next day and let's, let's get after it. And that's what I think our kids deserve. I think our kids deserve educators that are willing to put themselves out there, take risk, and then dust herself off when they don't make it right and then try to get better. I think, uh, I think the worst teachers are the ones that say, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been doing this for 30 years and this is the way it is. Well, uh, Mark Zuckerberg has a sign outside of his uh, Facebook uh, complex that's Sun Microsystems, I think. And he has it there because he says this company was here before us. And they didn't change. They didn't have that mindset uh, to change and adapt. And if we don't have that mindset as educators, we're going to be dinosaurs too. And I think this pandemic is a good experience for us as educators as we're changing. Sometimes public school educators get frustrated with charter systems and things like that. But guess what? It's all part of the system to get us better. So if you don't like it, then let's adapt. Let's get better. Let's grow in this. And so, I mean, you can sit there and, and complain, but I think our, our students deserve teachers that have that mindset of willing to change, willing to grow consistently. Uh, that's, that's what I think comes to my mind. Wow. You articulated that very well. That was not bad articulation at all. Like, I, I, I love taking notes. I, I've, I've learned through my master's and, and working on my doctorate now that whenever I hear people talk, to keep a pad and pencil by so that I can jot down things that they've said. And you said teachers should have the desire to improve you. Yeah. And that not the desire to improve themselves, because first you got to have that innate desire that I want to make you better. Right. Every student that comes across has to be become better because of your experience with that teacher. And when you said that, that just nailed it. I mean, I put a star by it so I can go back to that because that just, that resonates to me because as when I think about my daughter, every time I'm in my classroom, I ask myself the question, what would I want my daughter's teacher to give her? Now let me give it to these kids. Right. Let me give it to them. I want them to be fair with her. I want them to hear her. I want them to open up her voice. I want them to, to help her find her voice. I want them to help her you know, navigate the systems that she's in. I want them to help her become more whole. So I give that exact same thing to, to my students. And I think that when you put those things in perspective, 
it, it makes for that teacher that kids deserve because our kids deserve it. You know, yeah. I, I go back to Rita Pearson when she said that, you know, every child deserves to have a champion in their room. Yeah. You know, I dropped out in the sixth grade because of a sixth grade math teacher who I still go unknown, unnamed. Uh, but she called me Mr. Do Nothing. Oh, she had man. zero desire to improve me. She had zero desire. So when I stopped going, it wasn't even a hurry up and let me call home. It was, oh my God, he's not in my class anymore. So I don't have to worry about it. Right, right. And so my mom made me do something that very next year when she made me, when that, when they got the letter and said, okay, your son's being retained because of attendance. She said, you dropped out of school. I, I, how do you, I dropped, I dropped you off every day. You know, she didn't realize that I was cutting classes and jumping the fences and going to hang out and do all these things. Right. But then, so now since you've made that bed, I'm going to put you right back into it to lay in it because now you're going to be facing the exact same teachers. Mm -hmm. So I had to face that same teacher who said I was Mr. Do Nothing and prove to her that I could do something. Right. And I tell people, my mom helped shape everything that I was for the rest of my life with that one gesture. And that teacher the next year saw something that I hope was life changing to her to realize you can never give up on a kid. Right never give up on a kid and um, you know even working in a gap unit we had some doozies but I, I never saw you completely just give up on a kid I've yeah. never I never saw it so I always saw you wanting the best for every kid so that is something that even I can give a testimonial to that that desire to improve students and I use your gap unit then as a model for when I tell people this is how sac rooms should be set up this is how you know, gap rooms should be run. Kids should get the freedom to go out until they prove that they can't make it. Right. And they're not completely punished, but come over here for a little bit, cool yourself, get your wits about you. Now let's get you back in the classroom where the learning right. can take place. Exactly. Don't come sit over here because it's comfortable and you're you're away from the stimulus that protects you. Right, no, right. You need to learn how to operate within that stimulus. And then I'll be here, as you say, to coach you up to get yeah. you through. Exactly. So that, that, that was a huge, big, chunk that I took from you and the Thank you. Well, and I can say that that filtered down to me because I, I really didn't until I started teaching with you, Wilkie, I didn't understand the power that my words held, you know, and just, just the way you speak, not only about your kids, but the way you speak about yourself and the way you speak to yourself. Like it took me a good year of talking with Wilkie to realize how, how badly I was talking to myself and how, it had gotten me into such a tailspin that any, any time I was even remotely challenged by a kid, mm -hmm. I was, you know, in that situation where you, you know, even if a kid's being rude to you, there's, there's a, there's a kernel of truth in there somewhere. Right. And I just kept missing it and missing it and missing it. I was reading through some of the transcripts of work that we've done. And Wilkie always says like, life is going to teach you the lesson until you learn it. Mm -hmm. So you're going to keep oh, yeah. getting, you're going to keep being faced, especially as a teacher, like until you learn the right way to handle a situation, you're going to wind up back in that situation over and over again until you say like, oh, you know, maybe there's, and it was just something for me, like maybe there's an underlying thing with this kid that I'm actually not the problem, that I just happen to be either a convenient target or I happen to be just the person that does something that kind of 
starts the ball rolling down the hill. Right. And, and, and that reflective piece is, is so important. And I just feel like now I'm in, I'm in a really interesting position to find myself because I teach in an urban setting, but I'm still around a lot of people who have not been really around any people of color. Mm -hmm. So I hear some things that are, you know, less than savory and trying to be willing to share my experience of, you know, just saying like, no, that's not what urban students are actually like. That's not what African-American kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, that's not what they're actually like. They're actually very hardworking and they're respectful and they're fun to be around. And so I, I think that was just the lesson. I mean, so I'm going to thank you coach because that lesson you taught will trickle down to me. And it, I mean, even now it's making a difference with, I won't say it's not making a difference with my spouse because I'm learning how to, as someone who's about to get married in, you know, three months, learning how to navigate those waters. Right. And it's all a process, you know, and that's one thing I love about teaching and education is that I think I embraced after my fiasco in the sixth grade, I embraced being a student. And even as a teacher every year, it's a learning experience. I get jitters. I tell my students first at school, you were nervous this morning when you got ready to come to see me, so was I. Right. You, you had a hard time sleeping last night because you were waiting to come to school. Guess what? So did I. Right. You struggled to see what should you put on today because you knew everybody was going to be looking at what you, what, so did I. And yeah. I think, like you said, finding that one thing that you have in common with them. And when you start putting it up, we have so much more in common with each other than we have different. Right. So much more. So uh, big salute to you, Coach Schneider, on that one. That's, like I said, that's a life lesson that I still carry with me. And I'm just honored. Like, I could go on all day without this just because you were there with my, like I say, my first beginning. That's like my training wheels. You, you were there when I got them off. So, so I can appreciate this. Um, yes, sir. We're going to keep it moving. Uh, it's, uh, so we're going to go to the next question. Um, and you've kind of talked about this, so I'm going to shift this question around a little bit. Um, okay. Because you you now are a principal, so you came from student in Aldine to a paraprofessional in Aldine, to a teacher in Aldine, to a coach in Aldine, assistant principal, now to a principal. My question, do you, did you know when you got into education that you wanted to eventually be a building principal? Was that something that was in the back of your mind? No. It wasn't. And so I actually have to thank my wife and and Kyle and and Wilkie. I know y'all, you know, Kyle, you're going to know this. And Wilkie, I know you already know this. Your spouse makes you better. Uh, Whoever you're marrying, they're going to make you better. And you have to, I have a a wife that uh, she told me, I, I kept on being on the fence about getting my master's. And she said, shut up and do it. Hit the application. And uh, I did it. And actually, it, it, uh, I started my master's whenever my uh, oldest daughter was born. She was uh, eight weeks premature, and I was starting my first master's class. So I was doing it online uh, through Lamar, and I was in the hospital with her, uh, my wife, and uh, I was taking my classes. And it was, I, I look back on it, and I say, how did, I, how did we do that? Because I think that summer, I was taking my master's class. I was coaching strength and conditioning, 
and I was driving a summer school bus route. And so I was waking up at 4.30, staying up at the hospital till 10.30. And yeah, man, I was like, how did I do that? Well, the way I did that was my faith. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that. Uh, the good Lord's gotten me through everything. And, uh, you know, that, that, my wife is what, who I need to thank the most uh, for getting me into this, this, this opportunity. But the one thing when I started my classes and I realized that's what I wanted to do, I started changing the way I acted. I did, I started preparing myself for that position. I think a lot of people, when they uh, say they want to be in leadership, it's to get out of the classroom and, but they're not preparing themselves for that leadership uh, role. They think it's something that they're going to turn on. Uh, leadership is something that you should, if that's what you want to do, you should start embodying it every day and have that mindset uh, that, okay, you're, you're, if this is a destination I want to go to, what am I doing to set myself up for that? How are, how are my actions? What are my deliberate things that I'm doing day in and day out to be a principal? What am I doing day in and day out to be a superintendent? What am I doing day in and day out to be a doctoral student? What th Those are the things you have to start doing and embodying. And that's what really is kind of translated with my weight loss. Whenever what, what kind of helped me was I said, okay, I want to run a marathon. Okay. So what do marathon runners eat? Well, a, a lot of them have a uh, strict diet regimen. Uh, you know, they make food choices. Well, I started making those choices and that's what helped me on my journey. And so as an educator, if you want to be in those roles, those leadership positions, you got to start putting yourself in those positions by reading uh, and developing yourself as an educator. You've got to have the mindset that you're not going to stay stagnant. I, I can't tell you how many principals I've seen, uh, you know, not grow because they're not willing to change and develop. This is something that doesn't stop as a teacher. It's constant. When, if we do not have a mindset to constantly better ourselves and evolve, if I'm the same way at 80 that I was when I was 40, I haven't lived a life. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not the same guy I was when I was 20. I'm not the same guy I was last year. And you've got to have that mindset that you're constantly being shaped. Uh, and the good Lord's shaping me every day by experiences going through this with y'all. I mean, these are new experiences. So I, I've never been through this and, and I'm, I'm learning every time I'm talking with somebody else, uh, you know, and just, just have that mindset. I think that's, if you want to be in leadership, you've got to have that mindset. It's constantly grow. Thanks fam. Again, for listening to this episode of the value adds value podcast. Um, man, we, we love getting a chance to talk to coach Shiloh and it's crazy to us that considering we both taught in Aldean, Wilkie still teaches in Aldean, that he's the first Aldean person that we interviewed. So we hope that later in the week you will take the time to listen to part two of this interview with Coach Shadow where he gets into his health and fitness journey and running 100K and, and all those different things. But uh, as always, we we are honored that you're on this journey with us, that you take the time to listen to this podcast. Please continue to share it, subscribe to it, like it. Um, if you're looking to connect with us, you want more information, the things that we are doing and what we can do for you, please uh, visit the ledproject.com or find us on Instagram uh, at it's Kyle Krieger and at its.will.law.iii. Mine is the same on Instagram at, or sorry, on Twitter, 
uh, at it's Kyle Krieger and just change the dot to an underscore for Wilkie. So it's underscore will underscore law underscore III on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook as value adds value. You can find us just about anywhere. So um, much love to y'all. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you again soon on the value adds value podcast.